And what I want to propose to you this morning is God does want you to live your life to the fullest. But under his definition, we've been reading throughout Matthew about what it means to follow after King Jesus, to be kingdom citizens. It's the life that God designed for us to live. It's rewarding. It's fulfilling. So the real question is, what are our true needs to accomplish our mission here and to live that fulfilling life God created for us? What are our true needs? And today we're going to learn in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. Matthew 6, verses 11 through 15. And we're diving right back in to Jesus' model prayer. Last week, Jesus taught us a lot about prayer. He said, prayer, it's sincere, not just some public show to make people think you're so holy. He said, prayer is thoughtful. It's not just this repetition that you just run through turning off your brain. And really, the antidote to this is remembering who we are praying to. You know, in a world that's driven by celebrity, by the outrageous, by the spectacular, those are the things that get noticed. It's easy to think that our lives really aren't that important, that we don't really matter. But when we remember who we are talking to, our Father, the God of the universe, the transcendent holy God, gives ear to us and cares about us and knows our needs and wants us to pray to him, well, that shows us that we're not defined by our followers. We're defined by the one we follow. And so building off that, when we remember who we're talking to, when we remember God's affairs, then we need to turn and ask God for our needs. And today, Jesus is going to show us the three things we need to live as his followers, as kingdom citizens, and then we'll see how we can apply these things to our lives. Three things we need. Starting in verse 11, you can follow along with the, me. Actually, you know what? I'll start in verse 9. I'll pray the whole Lord's Prayer. Verse 9 says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing we need as kingdom citizens, we need God's provision. We need some heavenly handouts. Verse 11 is a simple prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And sometimes we read this, we think it's too simple. It's too basic. I mean, we're talking to our Father in heaven, the transcendent God, and we're asking him about sourdough. We're asking him about bread. Now, we got to pray about more important things. And so all throughout Christian history, some people have thought this needs to be spiritualized. It can't just be talking about food. Augustine, Cyprian, Tertullian, they said, no, this is some sort of spiritual bread. Well, let me tell you, there's no indication in the text that we need to spiritualize this. This is talking about basic needs, our food. And if we think this is too low for us to pray to God, we've made a mistake. 
We forgot who we're praying to because we learned that our Father in heaven, he cares about us. Verse 8 says he knows our needs. And as human beings, we have basic physical needs for a healthy life. And so when we ask God for food, for a healthy body, for protection, for shelter, these are legitimate needs we have as kingdom citizens. And we need to pray and trust God for those. And today, it's so easy to really lose sight of this. It seems so foreign to us. I mean, here in America, even people in poverty, true starvation is fairly rare. We're pretty well fed. But in Jesus' day and in other parts of the world, starvation was a real threat. I mean, back then, people were paid abysmally low wages, so low that you couldn't really save up anything. And so guess what? If you got sick, if you got hurt, if the crop was a failure, that was crisis. You were in danger. There were serious threats. And so this wasn't just a prayer. They just threw up to God, not thinking. They sincerely meant it. God, please provide for us today and for the next day. They lived hand to mouth. And for us today, it's foreign. I mean, for most of us, we open up our fridge and it's pretty full. Our pantries are full. We might have an auxiliary fridge and freezer in our garage. We have clothes in our closet. We have a roof over our head. So do we really need to pray this? Shouldn't we take it to mean that more spiritual meaning? Well, if we think that way, we're making a mistake because we're not just praying and asking God for what he gives, but also we're thanking him for what he has given Ultimately, all good things are from our Father in heaven. Every good thing you have. Now, this doesn't mean we just sit back on the couch and say, okay, it's all from God. Shower it on me. Come on. No, we need to be responsible and to work. But this is showing us that even the job you have to provide for your needs is given to you by God. Ultimately, we are all radically dependent. And when I say we, I mean all of us, every member of the human race, even the most famous celebrity, even the, most busy, the biggest business tycoon or mogul. I mean, I looked it up when I wrote this sermon on Wednesday. Elon Musk's net worth, $242 billion. $242 billion, that's a crazy amount of money. He has enough money that he can virtually get anything he could ever want. And with that much wealth, he's so cocooned from a lot of the problems and day-to-day -day things that we deal with. But guess what? Even Elon Musk, radically dependent. He still needs air to breathe. When he's sleeping, he still needs his body to remember to breathe. Five minutes without that air, no amount of money, no amount of stocks, no amount of companies can bail you out from that. He still needs to sleep. You go for an extended period without sleep or sleep deprivation, you go crazy. Your life will end shortly. He's still dependent even on our food cycle, on how we get food, on a lot of the storage and other things like that, things totally out of his control. Investment firms, corporate boards, they can't buy your way out of everything. He's radically dependent. And so what this shows us, this simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is that the self-made man is an illusion. If you brag about being strong and independent, guess what? You're pretty far from being strong and independent on your own. We radically need God. 
We're radically vulnerable. And when people realize this, they do a bunch of different things. When you realize you're really needy and you're really dependent and you're really vulnerable, some people get in this frenzied rush to hoard and accumulate and to try to live this illusion that their life is without any problems and they can protect themselves from anything. It's not true. Some people get a big head if they've been blessed or if they've been doing well. They get arrogant. They think, it's all me. I've provided for this. I'm a blessing to the world. It's like the nation of Israel. This verse, give us our daily bread, reminds us of the Old Testament when God provided manna to the nation of Israel in the desert. And guess what they did? They stopped thanking God for the manna. Then they stopped asking God for the manna. Then they started grumbling against God for the manna. And then ultimately, they dreamed of a life without God altogether. That's not the way we are supposed to go. Jesus shows us that we should live our lives in total dependence on God to provide for our needs. This doesn't mean throw caution in the wind and live totally irresponsibly. We need to be prudent. We need to be wise. But if your life has no risk involved for God's purposes, we aren't really living this out. We need to be dependent on God to provide for our needs. We need his provision. So the first thing we need is his provision. The second thing that we need is God's forgiveness. You'll see this in verse 12. The first word is and. And it's almost like Jesus realized that physical providence, God providing for our physical needs, that's not enough. We have spiritual needs as well. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts. We don't like debt. Debt's not a good thing. And guess what? We are all in debt. This is talking about our sin. Because when we sin, it comes with a cost. We deserve punishment. The wages of sin, the price of sin, the cost of sin is death. And we are all in that boat. Jesus shows us throughout Matthew, but also throughout the Bible, how much of sinners we are. We kind of forget this. Sometimes we think we are better than we are. In chapter 5 alone, Jesus says, look, even if you have the perfect outward behavior, if you desire the wrong things, if your attitudes are horrible, that still is not righteous. You could act well, but hate your brother. You could act well, but still have lust in your heart. You can lie. You're supposed to love your enemies. If you don't do this, you are a sinner. There's a cost to that. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. All of us, myself, you, everyone in this world, we are sinners and we are in debt. It comes with a cost. And when we realize that fact, it feels gross, it feels ugly, it doesn't give us the most confidence, but really what we can do then is cast that onto God and have hope, have living hope, because God paid for our debts. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life to die for our sins, our debts on the cross. It's the biggest debt forgiveness program the world has ever seen. And so we have hope because God has forgiven us of our sins as kingdom citizens. And since we've been forgiven, with great forgiveness comes great responsibility. You'll see at the end of verse 12, it says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So here we see that we are called to forgive others because we've been forgiven. And when you read this, it might seem a little confusing. 
It might seem like, oh, this is saying we can earn God's forgiveness. If we forgive this person and that person, then God's obligated to forgive us of this, and it becomes this kind of business transaction. Verse 14 and 15 kind of extrapolates on this idea. Verse 14 says, if, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so we know throughout the Bible that we are saved from our sin by God's grace through faith. Jesus died for us. So in no way can this mean that somehow we earn God's forgiveness. And when we realize that, sometimes we can just toss this verse aside and forget about it. But we can't just sand off the rough edges. We can't defang the Bible. In verse 14, it says, if you forgive others your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so this is what this is getting at. One of the chief signs that you've truly tasted God's forgiveness is that you can forgive others. Jesus makes this same point in Matthew 18. He tells a parable about a man who owed what was $10 million. And he's on his knees, he's asking forgiveness, he's begging for forgiveness, and he's forgiven of his debt. And then there's a man who owes him $10, and he holds it above him. He will not forgive the man who owes him $10, even though he's been give, forgiven 10 million bucks. And the end of the parable says that man truly wasn't forgiven in the first place. He hasn't grasped what forgiveness is. See, when we hold grudges, when we hold it against other people when they've sinned against us, we're forgetting how monstrous our sin has been against God. We're minimizing what we have done. And so I'll tell you this, if you want a metric ton of grace for yourself, but won't give someone else an ounce, that's a danger sign, that's a red flag that maybe you truly haven't grasped forgiveness. And when we think about this, it, it's hard. Forgiveness comes with a cost. It's a great responsibility. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, why can't God just forgive us? Why can't he just, you know, say, oh, it's all good, it's all over? Why did he have to send Jesus to die on the cross? That's dramatic, that's pretty harsh. I mean, he's God. Can he just say, okay, white out, it's over? Well, we're forgetting that forgiveness comes with a cost. You know, imagine the neighbor across the street from you, they have a, a son or a daughter in driver's ed, 15, 16 years old, just learning how to use a car. And one day they're getting in the car, they're still kind of nervous. I remember when I was learning to drive, had the jitters a little bit, put it in reverse. They don't check their rearview mirror and they back right into your car. And they feel terrible. You get out of the car, they're crying. They're personally wrecked over the wreck that they just caused. And you tell them, you know what? It's okay. I understand you're learning. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. And they think, okay, thank you. Well, guess what? There's still a cost to that. You still have a dent in your bumper. You still got to fix the damage. Damage was done. And so by forgiving them, you're eating the cost. I think on a bigger scale, in 2008, the financial crisis we had here in America with the banks and the bailouts, uh, through some different business practices, Bank of America, they owed $17 billion. And at that point, the U.S. government said, you know what, they're too big to fail. Well, they didn't just say, you're forgiven. No, there was a cost to that, $17 billion, and guess where it came from? The American people. There was a cost to all of this. 
And so when we realize that we are forgiven, we need to forgive others. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And that can be hard because although other people don't even get close to the amount of sin that we've done against God, it still hurts. When people sin against us, there's still pain. There can be trauma. It's difficult. But what God calls us to do is to forgive. And there still might be consequences, and that still might be a process. But if we've been forgiven our debts, this is what we are called to do. It's a revolutionary act. Because you look in our world, forgiveness is an anomaly. Forgiveness isn't something that our world celebrates. Instead, it celebrates no forgiveness. It celebrates canceling. It celebrates all sorts of things. But as Jesus' followers, we can show that revolutionary, radical forgiveness. So the second thing we need is forgiveness. We need God's provision. We need God's forgiveness. And lastly, we need God's deliverance. We need God's deliverance. Verse 13 is a little tricky. The first line says, and lead us not into temptation. I know a lot of you are really serious Bible students, and as those Bible students, you might think, wait a minute. We read in James that God doesn't tempt us, that God can't tempt us. So it doesn't make sense for us to ask God, hey, God, please don't tempt me. That doesn't make sense. It's like asking God to do what he said he won't do. It's like asking God not to sin. So that doesn't quite work. That word temptation sometimes is also translated testing. So it would be lead us not into testing. But again, this doesn't quite make sense because throughout the Bible, it says that as Christians, we're going to be tested with the goal that our faith is strengthened, that we're more dependent on God, and we're supposed to face those testings, those trials with joy. It's something we should welcome in our life. So why does part of the Bible say, hey, face testings with joy, and here we're asking not to even have those? Again, we're kind of stuck there. But we understand this verse when we understand how it's written, what Jesus was saying and what he's doing here. Verse 13, there's two lines, and it's using a Hebrew technique called parallelism. What that means is the second line explains the first one. It gives us some more information. So the second line says, but deliver us from evil. And in the Greek, evil is given a gender. It's a he so deliver us from the evil one is probably the best translation here. Satan is in view in line number two. And if that's explaining line number one, then we can piece this thing together. Satan is tempting us. Satan is in view. So if I was to rephrase this, it would be, God, please help me not to be tempted too far. Lead me not into a place where I'm just going to morally die and deliver me from Satan and his testings or temptations from his presence. So we're asking for that deliverance. And really what verse 13 tells us is that we have no ability in ourselves to face Satan. It says that we are weak, that we can't take him on ourselves in our own strength, that we're totally enabled or in, we don't have ability. Preacher Ray Pritchard he says that the Lord's Prayer, the second half, when we're asking for our needs, it's a prayer for total losers. <laughs> That's what he says. He says, you don't need to feel bad, though, because we all are in the same boat, every single person. We need God to provide for us. We're very needy. We can't live on our own. 
We need God to forgive us because we keep screwing up. And we need God to deliver us because on our own, we cannot stand up to Satan. We need God's deliverance. So we need God's provision, his forgiveness, his deliverance. What can we do? How can we apply this to our lives? Well, this is what we can do. Express our needs to our Father. Express your needs to your Father. Again, this is building off of last week. This is almost like a part two. We've seen that when we pray, we're to remember who we're talking to, our Father in heaven. We're to remember what God's doing, his kingdom plan, his will on earth. And after that, conditioned by that, we pray, God, give us what we need to do our part. And so what I would encourage you to do specifically this week is to rephrase Jesus' model prayer. You can see this in the back of your handout, your bulletin here. You can also find it online on our website if you're watching online. We don't need to pray the exact words of the Lord's Prayer. You can, but you better do so with sincerity and with your mind turned on like we learned last week. But you can rephrase this. Start off remembering our Father, His closeness, His love and care. Remember that He is the transcendent holy God. Then pray about God doing His affairs here on earth. But after that, we need to remember, hey, we are dependent on him, and it's right for us to pray for our needs. So pray for God to provide what you need for a healthy life, healthy physical body, food, shelter. Pray for God's forgiveness and that you're able to forgive others. And lastly, pray against your sin, against maybe a sin that you're struggling with, against the evil in our world and community, and that God would deliver you from those temptations that we face in our lives. You know, vision, I don't need to tell you this, but vision is incredibly important to us. Some researchers, some scientists say that 80% of what we know comes to us through our eyeballs, the raw data that we see. But it's not just in learning that vision is important. In the business world, vision is incredibly important as well. Ever since the 1950s and 60s, when business expert Peter Drucker told companies, you need a vision statement, they've been all over the corporate world. It's a statement of what your goal is, the inspirational ideal of where you're headed. Drucker says, every organization, every social movement begins with a dream. The vision is the force that invents the future. So, for example, Amazon has a vision. Amazon wants to be the Earth's most customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. <laughs> I like how they throw that in there. Anything you might want will make you be able to buy needless stuff. Harley-Davidson, also, their vision statement, we're going to fulfill dreams through the experience of motorcycling, and Starbucks says, we want to share great coffee with our friends and help make the world a little bit better. And so you see in these vision statements embedded is how they are helping the world. Starbucks is changing the world by giving you a coffee. Harley Davidson is making your life fulfilled because you're riding a hog. Amazon is giving the world a favor by providing a website where you can buy anything you could possibly think of. 
And I bring this up because when you pray in the way Jesus has showed us the last two weeks, it implants something in you. It implants a vision for who God is, for who you are, and for your purpose here on earth. It implants that idea. We talked last week about how prayer, more than giving information to God, really what prayer does is it changes us. It changes our hearts. It changes our desires. It changes our attitudes. We see that our life matters. The creator of the world listens to us and cares for us. We see that our life has purpose. We're to live as kingdom citizens, showing and telling others about Jesus and being able to show revolutionary forgiveness, grace, and we're not in this frenzy to hoard because we know that God provides for us. And I want to tell you that if we all take Jesus up and if we all pray this way and if we all rephrase the Lord's Prayer, think about what that could do to us as a group. If we all did that, Living, Bible, Living Hope Bible Church, still getting used to it, would be a place where God transforms lives, where lives are changed, where more baptisms happen. People come to faith. I mean, that's what we're here for. It could change the Treasure Valley. It could change Meridian and McMillan Road. This is a place where we come to worship and encounter God. So I challenge you, get to know your father like we said last week, and then express your needs to your father like we talked about this week. Pray that prayer. Get that vision for life and live out your calling as a kingdom citizen. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you are our Father in heaven. And God, we thank you for how you provide for us. We're deeply, deeply, deeply needy people. We need you to stay alive. We need you to provide food on our table. We need you to keep the basic necessities of life going. And Lord, on top of that, we thank you so much for your forgiveness, how you've forgiven us of our sins when we place our faith in your Son. God, as we face temptations throughout our days and throughout this week, please deliver us. Give us the strength. Keep us from those situations where we may not be able to be strong. And God, I pray that we could all live this way, that we could get this vision of who we are, and we could give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.